Welcome to the New Providence Presbyterian Church podcast, where we will share our messages from our weekend worship services. We hope these messages will inspire you and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. I want to begin, begin today's sermon with a significant number in my life today. And that number is 6,886. What's that number all about? 6,886. Anyone have any guesses? No guesses in the field. Let me give you the answer. The answer is this. My question to you is, what were you doing 6,886 days ago? Can you recall? Do the math. The math actually lands on July 8th, 2003. And on that day, my first daughter was born. Cambria Louise Lee, born in Reston, Virginia. And on that day, Laurie and I became parents. You'll see a picture here of me holding Cambria in one of the first moments of life. And once you get beyond the amount of hair and the sideburns I have, um, you'll... <laughs> yes, it sure is me. Yeah, that is me. It's not Photoshop. That's me. The, um, <clears throat> that precious moment, one of the earliest memories of holding my daughter. Um, and in that moment, yes, the joy and the excitement of being a parent, but then the utter fear of realizing that somehow, some way, God somehow thought it was a good idea to entrust this child into my care and to Laurie's care. I remember us, that moment, and every parent who's brought a a child home from the hospital has had this moment, especially that first one. You put that baby into the car and you're driving home and we're driving home looking at each other saying, we have a human being in the car. (laughs) And I still marvel at the fact that we take tests and certifications for all kinds of roles and tasks in this world, but we just drive home from a hospital with a baby. And there's no manual written. Yes, we had read lots of books, right? What to expect when you're expecting and all the different books that were out there. And we had talked to different couples and parents, whether they were parents of newborns or parents who had gone through multiple generations and gotten wisdom. But nothing could prepare you for that moment of coming home with that child. And so since that day, God's taught a lot of lessons, um, some basic high-arching lessons that God's taught me. One is parenting is hard. It is super hard. In many ways, because parenting can be messy. And as we consider this sermon series called Address the Mess, uh, lots of aspects of parenting can be messy because there's struggles in parenting. But right alongside parenting being hard, parenting is a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift to be able to be given the opportunity to love and care for and invest in and raise a child or children. There's nothing like it. Parenting is a gift. And over all this, parenting, no doubt, is a calling. It's a calling from God. It's something that God entrusts a child. I love what you prayed, Colleen, right? That God entrusts a child or children into a person's care. And ultimately, it's God's child, but for a season, that child is under the care of a parent or a caregiver. It's a calling from God. And the good news about any calling from God is when God calls someone to a task or to a role, he promises grace. Grace in his promises, grace in his provision, and grace in abilities to live out that calling. And in the midst of messy relationships and messy parenting, God gives us grace. And that's the focus of today. Today's focus is we continue in our sermon series entitled Address the Mess. Today we're looking at God's help with our parenting. So I invite you to say those three words with me. Address the mess. Say it. Address the mess. Say it one more time. Address the mess. I just equipped you with a great prayer. If you address God with those three words, say, God, 
Address the mess. If there's anything you take from this sermon, walk away in this series, walk away with that prayer because it's, we can't address the mess. We can't do it perfectly. Sometimes the more we try, at least maybe it's just me, the more I try, sometimes I make it worse. But when we turn to God and say, God, address the mess, and he steps in and steps up, we have hope, we have grace. And so we're looking today at parenting and specifically the messiness that comes with parenting because parenting no doubt can be hard and no doubt parenting can be messy. So what are we to do? Uh, we're to look to God and his word for strength. The good news is that God doesn't leave us without instruction and wisdom and help. He's given us his word. He's given us himself. So today we're going to look at a passage in scripture which speaks not directly about parenting, but it has patterns and principles that can be applied to parenting. In fact, the apostle Paul uses parenting imagery when he talks about the dear people that he loves and cares for. So hear this, if you are not a parent or you're not a grandparent, don't tune this out because today's message has patterns and principles that apply to any relationship where you are caring for someone else or seeking to influence them because none of us, none of us can do that perfectly either. So whether you're a parent, grandparent, or simply caring for others or influencing others, God's word has something for you today. So today we're gonna look at 1 Thessalonians, one of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to a community of early Christians in the ancient city of Thessalonica. And Paul, if you read in the book of Acts, you see how Paul was ripped away and pulled away from these people prematurely. And only after a couple weeks, he had to move on. And then because of that, he wrote this letter back to them to encourage them. And in this letter, we see his heart for these people. It just pours out. It oozes from Paul, his love and care and concern for them. And in the middle of this letter, he describes how he and his companions cared for them. And he uses parental imagery. And I believe we can receive some patterns and principles for how to address the mess in parenting from these verses. So we're gonna look at these verses and then consider what that means for us as parents or grandparents and caregivers today in the 21st century. So to do that, we're gonna look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, and then jumping down to verses 11 and 12. And as I read these verses, listen for Paul's deep love and concern for these people. Starting in verse 7, we read this. We read, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Down in verse 11, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Encouraging comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And so going back to verse seven, Paul first draws on the image of a, of a nursing mother. And we're gonna look at, as we look at the nursing mother and the father, we see action words, action words which describe Paul and his companions' love for these people, but they're used to the images of parenting. And he uses the image of a nursing mother. And the action word is to care. To care. He says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. The word that's translated for care speaks to like bringing someone in from the outside in the cold into a warm room and a safe room where they can receive what's necessary. So picture being outside in the freezing cold alone, all alone, and then someone comes and rescues you, brings you inside where it's warm and cozy and you're taken care of. That's this picture that's used of caring. And it speaks of a tender care, not just meeting the needs, physical needs, but the relational needs as well. Like a nursing mother caring for her children. 
And Paul says, well, what does that look like? He says, it's based on love. He says, because we loved you so much. He says, we were delighted. Paul here is describing his love and his companion's love for these people through the, through the lens of a nursing mother saying that they were, it was done in love. And it was done out of delight. Not out of moral, not just of cold obligation or, or duty, but of personal care, tender care. And what were they delighted to do? To share not only the gospel of God, right, the good news of Jesus, but their lives as well. That there was a personal connection here, a very personal connection. So here we see Paul describing his care for these people through the image of a nursing mother who cares for her children. Right, skipping down to verse 11, he then switches over to how a father deals, he says, with his own children. I love the word, the fact that the word own is in there. There's a sense of responsibility that this father has. And then he uses three action words to describe a father. The first one is encouraging. This is a, a good father. Father is one who encourages. Right, the word encourage means to put courage into a person. For me, it's an image like a parent saying, you can do this. You can do this. Go for it. You can do this. And here, Paul, it's not empty words. It's not just empty descriptions. He's backing that up with God's power, God's promises, and God's help. And it's like a parent saying, you can do this. Try it. Image of a child maybe taking off the training wheels for the first time and uh, saying, go, you can do this. You can do this. Putting courage into that child. Paul says he dealt, he and his companions dealt with these Thessalonians like a father deals with his own children, encouraging them, saying you can do this based on who God is and what God promises. The next word he says is comfort, comforting them. Now the biblical understanding of comfort is different than maybe what we would typically think in 21st century in our country today. Typically if you hear about comforting someone, we think about taking away pain and suffering. But the word comfort in the Bible speaks to giving strengthening aid to someone who's going through trials, who's going through suffering. So here Paul is saying that, to be, that he's offering this type of comfort. Not that he's taking away pain, not that he's taking away trials and suffering, but he's offering strengthening aid to help them through that pain and suffering. And he's saying like a father, a father's typically unable to make everything better. I know I've been in those situations where I just want to make it better for my daughters. Make all the pain go away. But that's not a description of comfort in the Bible. To comfort someone is to provide strengthening aid and walk with them through that suffering, walk with them through that pain, especially when you can't make it better, especially in this broken down world. So Paul's saying here that he and his companions comforted them. Then he says he urged them, urged them to live a life worthy of God. And so here Paul's saying that he also challenged them. Now Paul never challenged with shame. It wasn't shame-based leadership. He didn't say, get your act together, you losers. Paul never had that tone. The tone of the Holy Spirit, the tone of, of urging is one of challenging with grace and truth. Jesus came full of grace and truth. And so a proper challenge, a proper urging, a proper cause to action based on Scripture, a good parent urges with grace and truth, not with shame. But what did he urge them to do? He urged them to live a life worthy of God. That word worthy is an important word. We see it throughout the New Testament. It's used in different capacities. And it speaks to a weight, like weighing like a, a, an object or a metal to see how much it's worth. But it's not just weighing it, in terms of, weighing it quantitatively in terms of how much it weighs. It's also weighing it qualitatively, the quality of it. What's the essence of it? Is it truly that type of metal? 
And here Paul's saying live a life worthy, worthy of God. Based on not only what we see on the outside, what can be measured, but also on the inside, on the essence of who you are. Now could anyone do that perfectly? No. No one can live a life worthy of God perfectly. Only Jesus did that. But Paul here is encouraging and urging these Thessalonians to live that type of life, strive towards that type of life. The Christian life isn't one where God has saved me, I just sit back and wait to go to heaven. No, it's a constant walk with God. And our role is to seek to grow in our faith, to walk with God. And Paul's saying to live a life worthy of God. The same God who we read in this verse who's called us into his kingdom and his glory. He's made us a child of the king. The good news of scripture, the good news of Jesus Christ is we've gone from being orphans out alone outside and God says, no, come inside. You are now adopted as a child of the king. He says, live a life worthy of that God as a child of the king. So we see these three action words. Um, I love how Paul does this all with God in the person view. Over all this is, is the truth and knowledge for Paul that these Thessalonians aren't his. They're not his possession. They're ultimately God's children. But Paul's been, and his companions have sought to care for them, to encourage them, to comfort them, and to urge them or challenge them. He knows his role. He knows God's role. And that's an important distinction that we see over this whole passage. So what can we learn from Paul's relationship with the Thessalonians, as we think about parenting today, or again, anyone you're trying to influence and provide care for, those four action words are super important. How can we care for people? How can we encourage them? How can we comfort them? Again, the key difference, not removing all pain and suffering, but providing strengthening aid to help them through that, that inevitable pain and suffering in our world. And how can we urge or challenge others to to live a life worthy of God. We can look at those action steps. Now, as we think about living that out as parents or caregivers, uh, there's lots of things that could take us off course and that I could jump into all kinds of distractions and things that could pull us away from that calling today. I want to focus on one, and one that's been super helpful to me in my parenting. It's convicted me over the years, and it came to me through a book that's been super helpful to me in parenting. It's, it's called Parenting. That makes sense. Parenting. Uh, by Paul David Tripp, one of the best books on parenting that I've ever read. Not because it's a how-to manual. You're not going to find 10 ways to be a better parent in this book. But Paul David Tripp provides a biblical vision of parenting, one that ultimately provides freedom because it defines who we are as parents or caregivers as opposed to who God is. And that separation is important. And the primary piece that, he's, that I learned from this book, and it's right at the beginning of the book, he cautions against having a sense of feeling like we are the owners of our children or the owners of anyone that we're, again, if you're not a parent or grandparent, if you're trying to influence and care for someone, to think that I'm the sole owner. I have to make it happen. And it's a subtle shift, Paul, Paul David Tripp says. He says, it's too many Pauls. Paul the Apostle, Paul David Tripp. Too many Pauls. It's like Mary's, right? We go back to Easter. But the fact that, <clears throat> but Paul David Tripp, he differentiates between being like, okay, I'm the sole owner. I have to make it happen for my child versus a sense that, no, God's entrusted me with this child or this person, and I'm called to love and care for them. Ultimately, they're God's, but I'm called to have a role. Over here in this ownership mindset, it's a subtle shift. It's a shift that says, these children belong to me, so I can parent them as I see fit. And the danger, if you're living in the ownership world, saying, I'm the sole owner, it's up to me. God's on the picture. I have to make it happen. Is that we can look to our children 
to be things that they're never meant to be. We'll try to get from them a sense of worth and value that we're not meant to get from our children. Or we're going to try and make things happen for our children that we're not meant to make happen for them. Let me go through that distinction. I, I think it's really helpful for me to say that if it's only on me, then I need to make it happen for my children. And we see this happening more and more. Just read the articles about helicopter parenting, or now they call it what? Like snowplow parenting, or whatever it is. Like trying to remove all obstacles and pain and suffering in this world. Just make it better for the children. Stay on top of them. Make sure nothing goes wrong. Dictate their future, and everything's going to be fine. You could do that for a season. You may do that for a while. You may be able to fix some things. But if you want to talk about a mess and addressing the mess, if you try and live that way long term, it's going to lead to messy relationships and ultimately a messy situation for your children. I've seen it. I've tried it. I want to make everything better for my children. I want to fix it. I want to clear the way. But sometimes and oftentimes, the more I try and clear the way, the more I try and fix it, the worse it gets. And I rob them of the lessons that God wants to teach them and also the lessons that God wants to teach me. And so when you have sole ownership parenting, be aware that you could try to make things happen for your children. The other side of that is when you have sole ownership parenting, thinking I'm the only one who needs to make this happen, we could look to our children, look to our children to give us things that we're not supposed to get from them. Specifically our worth and identity. We're gonna look to get things from them. I know I struggle with this, and youth sports is a big deal. And I'm pulled into it. I played baseball through high school. I have four daughters. Right? And so if I had a son, God, man, I'm glad God didn't give me a son because I would have been like, you're playing baseball and you're playing baseball all the time. It would have been ugly. God chose not to do that. But I have daughters, they play softball. <laughs> and they've all tried. And let me tell you, I have felt it. And if you've been there, I mean, when a daughter gets a hit, gets the winning run, pitches an inning, I feel pretty good. <laughs> That's my DNA in her, by the way. Laurie too, but it's primarily me. If it's soft, no, no, not at all. But you talk about mess, the pressure. When if I'm living through my children, trying to get from them something that they're not supposed to give to me. My worth and value is to come from God and God alone. And yes, you support them. Yes, there's joy. I'm not gonna be a killjoy here. They get the game-winning hit. You should jump up and down. You should be excited. Jump for joy for your children. But there's that subtle line when you cross over, saying now, I'm worth more. Now, something is better for me. We shouldn't be getting that from our children. You want to address the mess, don't cross over that line. And so we see that from the Apostle Paul and how he did that and how he cared for and encouraged and comforted and urged those Thessalonians. He didn't step over that line. He had a proper recognition that they were God's children, spiritual children, but God's children, not his. And he maintained that separation. I believe those patterns can play out for us to maintain that separation if we want to avoid the mess of either trying to do too much for our kids or trying to get too much from our kids. I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to all of you, by the way. This is, this is a hard word, but there's that subtle distinction. And I know for me when I've lived on the side of not crossing over that line and saying, God, these are your children. I can't make everything better for them. Only you know what's best for them. And when they fall, when they struggle, there's the gift of struggle. Trusting that he's going to do a work in that, in them, and also in me. And the same thing where when I want to get things from them that I'm not meant to get from them, I'm not meant to get my worth and value from them. I can enjoy them, I can be blessed by them, but not get my sense of identity and value from them. 
when I don't cross that line, there's less of a mess. May that be the case for us. How can we avoid that? I think there's, uh, I'm gonna finish with three roles of parents that can help resist moving over into that soul ownership perspective. If you put these into practice, it allows you to stay in that mindset of that you are caring caretakers of your parents, of, of your children, not soul owners, right? The first one is pra- parents provide par- prayer support. Of course, this is church, it's Sunday morning, you're supposed to talk about prayer, right? But I'm talking really do it. When you provide prayer support for your children, when you pray for them, right away, you, you remember through praying for them that they're God's, they're not yours. And that God's entrusted your children to you for a season. So you pray for them, pray for them. Now, in many ways, this is like serving like a priest. Whew. Serving like a priest. Now, a priest in the Old Testament would speak to God on behalf of the people. And only the priests can do it. The New Testament, because of Jesus, we are given access to the throne room of God. We read in Hebrews 4.16. We read in Ephesians 3.12 that we, have with, we could approach God with freedom and confidence. Anyone, anytime. And so we can speak to God on behalf of our children. And so one of the roles of a parent, if you want to stay away from that soul ownership side and move into the entrusting side, go with this. Provide prayer support. Talk to God on behalf of your children. Ask them, ask God to pour out grace in your children. Ask God for help. Ask God to help them through their pain and suffering. Help them with that comfort. Ask God and trust your children and whoever you're caring for to God first. And he'll tell you your role after that. But first give it to him. Provide prayer support. It's like a priestly role. The second role is to serve as a mirror for your children. If you want to avoid moving towards that soul ownership perspective, but more so that you've been entrusted for a season, you serve as a mirror for your children. Meaning you mirror to them what you're seeing in terms of their thoughts, attitudes, and actions. Will they always receive that? No. But your role is to provide, to be a mirror for them. Now ultimately, the best mirror that you can provide is using God's word. Letting scripture do the work for you. Now again, are your children gonna listen to that? I mean, soon they'll be like, come on, Jeff. Like, you really think we're gonna sit down like this is like the 1950s with an open Bible around a fire and, and read, we're gonna read Leviticus for three hours and our children are gonna be magically converted to be, ama-. no, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, as you bring God's word to bear, let God's word do the work, right? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, describing God's word, talks about the work that it does. All scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. However, whatever form that takes to be able to provide God's word into your children's life, that let God's word do, do all those actions. Let it teach let him rebuke. I mean, I know when I rebuke my children, it doesn't always go so well. It needs to happen. But when they discover it themselves, you'll let God do it. It's a different case. Let God correct, let God train. And as that happens, you could serve as a mirror through that capacity. And then again, it's not trying to control them and outcome. Let God work through his word. The third role is to serve as a signpost. As followers of Christ, We're not meant to be Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. But our role is to point to Jesus and to be a signpost. And so as parents, our role, we can fulfill our calling by pointing them to Jesus. Pointing them to Jesus. And this involves how we act and how we are. And this is where it gets really convicting and gets hard. It's not just about the kids. 
It's about us too. So we need to be growing in our faith. We need to let God change us. We need to be having him work in us. Because it's more, it's been said, right? It's more not what's been taught, but what's caught. And it's by who we are and how to, out of who we are, that's the greatest influence on our children or anyone that we're caring for. Or the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now Paul's not being arrogant here. This is, this is how he lived. Right? He sought to follow Christ. And then he encouraged those that he was leading and loving to try and follow his example. So as followers of Christ, if you are a parent, your role is to get as close to Jesus as possible. It's to follow him and grow in your faith. Right? Not just put it on cruise control and be like, okay, I'm just going to wait until I get to heaven. But here and now, to be growing in your faith, to be spiritually trained up, to be more and more like Jesus. And in doing so, you'll serve as a signpost pointing your children ultimately to Christ. Is anyone going to do this perfectly? No. None of us are. There's ample grace here. So look at God. He has billions and billions of children. And how's that going? Right? We see, I mean, we, how far have we progressed as a human race? And look at our world. Right? Every single day, there is sin and brokenness in our world and people rejecting and resisting God. There's ample grace. God gets it. When I talk about the mirror before, we have the whole Old Testament where God sent prophets to be a mirror to his people, sharing this is God's word. How did that go? They were all killed. Right? People aren't open typically to God. But God still works through it. And he worked through it because of what they did. We have a majority of our Old Testament. And it's a warning to us today. And so there's grace in all this. God's just asking us to take that step and these different, to provide that prayer support, to be a mirror, and also to be a signpost. And that'll help us not move towards that own primary ownership way of parenting where a lot of mess could come from, but live into a, a type of parenting where we remember that we're entrusted with these children or whoever we're caring for, for that season. In light of all this, um, we'll give one thing to remember, one thing to do, and we'll finish up. One thing to remember is this. God calls us to point our children to Jesus. And he offers us grace to address the mess in our parenting as we live out that calling. So we put what I've shared into practice. One thing to do, go with back to those action words. This week, assess the relationships with your children or, again, anyone that you're caring for and seek ways to care for them, to encourage them, to comfort them. Again, not with a remove the pain view of comfort, but to provide strengthening aid through the pain perspective. And then lastly, how to urge them to live a life worthy of God. As you think about, think about yourself, it's up to you also to be growing in your faith. And so here's New Providence Presbyterian Church. We want to partner with you, not just for the next generation that we, that we prayed for about before. Absolutely, we'll continue to do that. We're invested in children and students, and that's going to continue to happen. But we're also invested in you, that you'd be growing in your faith. And as our dear Colleen transitions this fall, and we think about what is the next step. There's no way to replace Colleen Fletcher. There's only one. She is the greatest of all time. Can we get some words here for her? We are in the midst of a goat or a boat, the best of all times. Right? A goat or a boat. Impossible to replace you, Colleen. But we are knowing that whoever God calls to serve in that type of capacity will have a focus on pastoral and congregational care, no doubt, but also a focus on adult ministries. Because it's, I'm invested in finding someone to serve on our staff to help you as adults grow in your faith. Because if you're not growing in your faith and we're pouring into our next generation, we're going to run out of what to pour into them. We need to be growing 
as well. And so assess your relationships, but also assess yourself. Are you growing in Christ? You could follow that way the Apostle Paul says. He, he says, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. A couple questions to consider as we finish for reflection. Starting broadly, in what ways have you seen others benefit from those action steps, right, of a parent or, or someone else caring for, encouraging, comforting, or challenging them? Then make it personal. How have you benefited from that, from those steps? Someone caring for you, encouraging you, comforting you, and challenging you. On the next question, what role out of those three that I shared, meaning a prayer support mirror or signpost, do you relate to the most as a parent and why? Which one do you relate to the least as a parent and why? Again, overall, this, if you're not a parent, think about those that you care for and that you have influence on. How does that play out? Number three, what could change if you practice a different kind of parenting right, that focused primarily on pointing your children to Jesus? Again, as opposed to trying to make everything happen for them or trying to get something from them that you're not supposed to get from them. Let God work with you on that this week and see if you could let him address the mess in that way. And like a car that's out of alignment to try and get back in the correct alignment, recognizing that God wants to give you all the joy possible in and through your children. But we're not meant to control them or not meant to get things from them that we weren't meant to get. See how God works in each of those and imagine, imagine if we can make that shift. Imagine if you can make that shift in your relationships with your children or even with your grandchildren or anyone that you're caring for, that you could entrust them to God. Let them go. Imagine the freedom from that. Where you didn't feel like, I have to work this out for my children. I have to make sure they're happy. I have to make sure they find their thing. There's a lot of stress right now. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it for my daughters. But God doesn't want us to carry that stress. He knows what their thing is. He knows what their calling is. And he's gonna show them. Our role is to support them in the process, not to try and make it happen for them. Does that make sense? All right, let's pray for all this as we finish. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to see the role of parenting through your eyes. God, you have uh, had to work with all kinds of people, both right now in the current moment in history and throughout human history. And so God, you know the grace that we need. You know the truth that we need. So I pray for every person who's heard this message, God, that you would give us wisdom for next steps. Help us to see life like you see it and help us to love and care for our children or whomever, God, you call us to care for, Lord. Help us to love them like you love us and help us to entrust them to you and to see things more clearly. God, address the mess in our lives and today, specifically in terms of parenting, we entrust ourselves to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.